Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Alexander Schmieding and you're listening to From Vision to Creation, a podcast that dives deep into the minds of visionaries who pursued their passions and made their visions a reality. On each episode, we will have conversations with entrepreneurs, artists, industry leaders, and business owners, and we'll explore the mindset that fueled their desire to take their dreams from vision to creation. This podcast is brought to you by Proper Placement, a full-service marketing agency that can help promote your business through social media marketing, paid advertising, email marketing, and more. Find out how we can help grow your business at properplacement.com. At Proper Placement, we don't have clients. We have partners. Welcome back to another episode of From Vision to Creation. I'm your host, Alexander Schmieding, and today we are going on a journey from South Africa to New York City with the talented and graceful Moira Maholland. To say Moira's story is extraordinary would be an understatement. It's like something out of a movie. She graciously waltzed into the world of makeup thanks to a twist of fate that changed her life forever. You see, Moira got her first modeling gig by accident, and it was this serendipitous moment that set her on a path to becoming one of the most sought-after celebrity makeup artists in the business. Moira's talent and enthusiasm for makeup propelled her to work with some of the biggest names in fashion and cinema. From magazines like the iconic British Vogue, fashion photographers like Peter Lindbergh, supermodels like Christy Brinkley, to acting powerhouses like Ashley Judd and Nicole Kidman, to name a few. But what sets Moira apart isn't just her immense skill. It's her unwavering can-do attitude. She's a firm believer in saying yes to every opportunity that comes her way, no matter how challenging or daunting it may seem. Join us as we explore Moira's spectacular rise in the beauty industry and the adventurous spirit that continues to drive her success. Well, Moira, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Alexander. Thanks for having me. I've been so excited to talk to you because I think you have a fascinating story and and just, you know, moving from South Africa to a new country to start a career in, I just think I I can't even imagine what that's like. I know I was nervous moving to another state from Texas to California. So I know, I'm sure it's a big, a huge undertaking. You know what? I guess it, it was, but at the time it was just, yes. you know, it was kind of like just what I was doing and not... I didn't really think about it like that. It was just young, adventurous and, okay, what's next? And that's that's so cool because I feel like not everybody has that type of spirit. So that's that's really interesting. I think it's the, you know, South African pioneer spirit. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So let's start in South Africa. So you're grow, growing up in South Africa. At what point do you realize that you may want to move out of your country, your home country to start your career? I'm not really sure. I think it was like once I started working and uh, started doing makeup and I started realizing the possibilities of, you know, it, of it being an international thing and not just a South African thing. I had growing up, I had no idea that I left the country once before then to go to Mauritius. And that was it. I had never been to Europe, never been to America. Basically that was it. I'd never left sort of like the African continent. 
you had mentioned to me that you started modeling first, right? Before you got into makeup? Purely by accident, and I hate to admit it. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you mean by accident? How did that happen? Well, I was, um, I'd gone to, I had left my, actually born in Zambia, left my hometown, which is Durban, and um, went to university in Cape Town. And while I was at university, my parents, I mean, the money that my parents sent me could barely buy me my cigarettes. <laughs> so I was like, okay, out to work. And I, I worked and it was at my place where I was working that who I later discovered was a makeup artist and a famous South African makeup artist. I had knew nothing. I didn't even look at fashion magazines. I didn't even know the existence of them. Whoa. Oh yeah. my gosh. Okay. Like totally like in the dark. Anyway, so I was working in this clothing company, like doing um, designs for knitwear and then punching out on ticker tape for the computer, like all the little graph color blocks, tedious work. Anyway, so this makeup artist who was friendly with the couple who owned the company saw me there one morning, one Saturday morning, which was my day that I worked there. And she asked if she could use my face for a makeup demonstration that she was doing. And I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> Love to. So did that. And um, her boyfriend took some pictures of me for her. And then at the time, I had no idea, but it turned out. So she was the top makeup artist in South Africa. He was like the top fashion photographer. And I got a call from them like a week later. And he said, I'm shooting a TV commercial. Do you want to come and try out for it? And I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So I was in that game for stuff. You know what I mean? It was like, oh, that sounds like fun. And I did. And I got the TV commercial. Oh, my gosh. So it sounds like both of these opportunities, they kind of just presented themselves you know, in a, in a serendipitous way. Well, that's that's how I felt about, you know, my career. I've never really, I never studied for it. I never, I mean, I had to do the, the slog work once I got, you know, overseas. I mean, to New York and that. And and that's what I try and tell my boys in this world. It's like, you got to put yourself out there. If I was like just sitting home and going to university and not, you know, out trying to, Get do ahead, something. do something. Yes. I, it would never have happened. And so how long were you modeling before you got into um, makeup? Uh, two years. Okay. And so I, I guess when, you're, when you are a model, you're working with makeup artists. At what point did you think, hey, I could do that. I'd like doing this. Well, the funny thing is, so that first day that it was funny, the, the makeup artist's name was Gavin Sorger and her boyfriend at the time was Gavin Furlonger. To the two Gavins. And but when I, after she had done my face, I went home and I looked at myself in this, I had this little, you know, mirror on my dresser. And I was like, oh my God, that is me. I couldn't believe it was me. Cause it was, it was like really sculptural makeup. You know, she had done like the Sarah Moon smoky eye, the little rosebud cheeks, perfect rosebud lips. And I didn't wash my face that night because I was like, oh my God, I couldn't believe it was me because my makeup had been, you know, black hole in the eye and, and <laughs> lip and kissing glass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, wow. So, so you see yourself in the mirror, totally transformed. Mm -hmm. And then this is what inspires you to think, to say, I want to, I want to start this type of work. I don't think it was that consciously at that point, but then obviously, you know, I took that in. And so modeling, there were a lot of jobs where you had to do your own makeup. I became known for doing my own makeup well. 
So I would get more bookings because they were like, oh, she does a really good job. And then, you know, with working with other models, they would ask me to do their makeup. Oh, can you do my makeup, please? Because you do yours so well. So I started helping the other models do their makeup. And it just kind of snowballed. I worked with a photographer who um, he basically said, I love how you do your makeup and I want to test some girls. Do you want to help me out? And I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> wow. So, okay. So you didn't even start by marketing yourself no. saying, I'm going to create a business out of this. It was just people were seeing the work you were doing with your own makeup. And then that was. Exactly. Your, okay. Exactly. Wow. Okay. And so at this point, you're still, you're still in Cape Town. Still in Cape Town. When did you make the move to, because I, I understand you traveled around, you traveled around before you came to New York. Is that right? Yes. So I became, you know, I became a well-known makeup artist in Cape Town from, from that, you know, the photographer that I worked with was also a well-known photographer. And so he started booking me on jobs and I started doing big jobs. And then one of the big clients that I worked with in Cape Town was this company called Trueworths, and they would take a lot of trips, a lot of them to New York because they wanted to shoot with the American girls. And then the, the, like they used the top American girls and then they would also fly top girls into Cape Town. So I kind of got that connection with like Susie Amos was one of the models and Janice Dickinson Anyway, a whole part, you know, we started working with. And so I got a taste of New York. <laughs> and then at this, oh, and then this is an important part in the story too, because at the time when I was still modeling before I changed to makeup, I hadn't seen my younger sister for, for a while because I had moved to like a two and a half hour flight away city. And so now when I started modeling, I was like, oh, I'm rich, you know, <laughs> because... <laughs> The fees were amazing at the time. So I was like, I'm going to fly my little sister in to visit me. And so I went to get her off the, you know, from the airport. It was the old days when the, you know, the, you didn't have the jetways. It just, you would come down the stairs. And I'm looking at this girl and I'm like, who is, oh my God, that's my sister. So she would suddenly like grow like a foot tall. And she had this mass of curls, brown curls and like, you know, a beanpole. And I thought, if I am able to work like this, she's going to make a killing. So I quickly whipped her off to that photographer, did her makeup, and he did test shots. And she just, what's his name? Casablanca's saw her immediately and offered her like a three-year contract. So she just flew off. Oh, my gosh. So another another serendipitous moment for your sister. And you, you so the, the second you saw her, you were looking at her from a totally different perspective. Totally. I never thought my sister, was, we never looked at ourselves in that way. Do you know what I mean? It was just, we just were, and it was, we didn't really consider the, you know, beauty or fashion or. But what I find interesting, Moira, is at this point, you haven't been doing it very long, but you already had an eye. You saw her and you said, that's, that's not my, she, she's a model. Yes. Oh my gosh. And so, and when she went to visit you, was she visiting you in Cape Town or did you fly her to Cape New York? Town. Okay. In Cape Town. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so you're going on these trips to New York to work with the American models. Uh, at what point were did you decide I'm going to move here or, or did it just kind of happen the way, you know, were you presented with an opportunity? Well, so then my sister had taken off and she was now working as a, as a top model in Paris and New York and she had an apartment, a Paris apartment in New York. And I'd been traveling, you know, backwards and forwards. And 
I went and stayed with her in Paris for a year, which was talk about starving artists. You know what <laughs> I mean? That was like, I was too, number one, I was too afraid to go on the, on the metro because I did not like the idea of being underground. I had no, you know, not a huge amount of money. And so I didn't take the, didn't take taxis. So I just had my little plan de Paris and I would, I had found an agent and um, basically would get my, call them go sees. You would take your book. I would map out my route and how long it was going to take me by foot <laughs> to get there. And and that's it. I started just slogging my South African tear sheets around, which were not really considered they could see my work, but it wasn't like a, you know, a Vogue magazine what, tear sheet. What I'm finding inter so interesting about this is you were really going out of your way to make it in Paris and you, you know, mapping out the routes and figuring out, finding the agent. What was the motivating force behind your ambition? I don't really know. I think, yeah, probably wanting to, you know, just get out of South Africa, broaden my world. Yeah, and I was just there, and that's what I was doing, trying to make a living, yes. living in Paris, which I, I fell in love with Paris the minute I got there. I mean, because what a beautiful, what a beautiful city. Then I would still go back to Cape Town after living in Paris. I went back to Cape Town. I would work the season in Cape Town. Then I, my sister would be in New York, so I flew to New York and would stay there for a while. And I did that for a, a couple of years. And then I just ended up, I thought, you know what? I want to stay in New York. And I found, found an agent, which is not, you know, it's not that easy to just immigrate to America. Uh, I, it, was, it wasn't easy for me to move from Texas to California. No, I can't but even I mean, imagine. But I mean, legally, to, to, to oh. get there legally to work is oh. not, you know, you have to go through a whole, in order to get an agent, you have to have tear sheets, but in order to get tear sheets, you have to have been able to work. So um, luckily I found an agent and another serendipitous event. I had met, he was also the agent of a photographer. I had met the photographer and then, you know, a little while later, this photographer was doing a shoot and the makeup artist didn't pitch. So I got a last minute call. Can you come to the job? Wow. And so, and my sister happened to be a model on the job. You're kidding. And that was a total coincidence. Total coincidence. Oh my God. That is destiny, Moira. Yeah. yeah. So, and it, it happened to be a Italian Vogue, which wow. was, it was at the time, just before Italian Vogue became like the Vogue that everyone was looking at. And this photographer was sort of like on, he was starting his rise. And then he just loved what I did. And he started booking me on all sorts of other jobs. And I kind of rode his wave, you know, up to the top. Oh my gosh, Moira. So, and then that, and that's just, you know, back to, to what we were speaking about earlier, that's just about putting yourself out there and being willing to show up and, and work and just do a good job. Exactly. Exactly. And being able to say, okay, yeah, I'll be there in five minutes. Oh my, yes. Exactly. Being available. Exactly. Wow, Moira, that's, that's fascinating. And then, you know, I was, I, I was researching you to see, and I was looking up uh -oh. I was, <laughs> all good things. Um, I, I, I read that you did a lot of work with Nicole Kidman, Christy Brinkley, Ashley Judd. What led to and, it, and it, from the from the sound from the sound of it and what I read online, it sounds like you guys are good friends. So another big next step was that um, 
you know, I was doing, I was doing like, the, I was working and doing, you know, the stuff with Sante. Sante Derazio was the photographer. But my next big step was when Liz Tilberis, she was a famous, she's um, now passed, unfortunately, but she took over the old Harper's Bazaar magazine. And it was like a big thing to happen in the fashion world. Fabienne Baron, who's a well-known graphic designer, did the layout of the magazines. And it was a whole new, you know, it was like the time of like the waif time and that whole era. And um, anyway, I had met Liz on some job and she decided that she liked me too. And so when, when she started at Harper's Bazaar, the magazine editresses always had like a list of who they okay as hair and makeup. And I got on that list. Wow. Because of Liz Tilberis. So then I I did amazing work for this magazine, like the best hair sheets that you could ever hope for. Because they were really like pushing it and they would push you. It was like a whole it was incredible teamwork and they would really push you to bring out, you know, oh, do you think that don't we need a little extra? And then you'd be like, Yeah, maybe we do need a little extra. And I had incredible tear sheets. And so in this business, like the publicists of the big actresses will look in the magazines and say, okay, we want this person for the makeup. And that's how come I got to do uh, Nicole Kidman, Demi Moore. uh, What's what's John Travolta's wife? I forget what her, she's also now passed. Anyway, a whole pile of actresses and Ashley Judd. And so I never did movies initially with them, but I would do, if they were doing publicity or red carpet, that kind of stuff, their real life stuff. Wow. That's, I, I just, I, I'm, I'm just blown away at how you were able to just grow your career by showing up and also a career that you kind of stumbled on accidentally. I, I count my blessings every day. I really do. At what point in your career were you looking around saying, Somebody pinched me like this. It, how is this happening? A funny thing is that I, I've always had sort of like, I don't want to say magical thinking, but I've always, my way of being has been just to move forward and not sometimes to detriment, not being introspective or, you know, looking back. And I would just, and for me, it was kind of like, don't jinx things. Just keep, you know, keep here. And it served me well to a certain point, right? In South Africa, I was, at the time when I was at the top of my field, um, I was interviewed by a, a magazine in South Africa. And one of their questions were the famous question, where do you see yourself in five years? And I flippantly, like, you know, not believing it, said, oh, yeah, you know, in New York working for Vogue and Harper's Bazaar. <laughs> <laughs> You're kidding. I'm serious. Oh, well, you know, it's funny that it's funny that you bring this up because I actually came across an article about you and you were asked that very question. You you were asked, where do you see yourself in five years? And this was your response. You said, aha, my favorite question. I see my home scaled down, simplified. My sons will be 22 and 25. So I, I will probably be living by myself on this beautiful land with mountain views in my comfortable, modest, modern home with a painting studio and swimming pond my test garden, working on new organic vegan formulations, collaborating with my peers, experimenting with non-harmful ingredients for safe beauty products. I see myself mentoring young makeup artists and raising awareness about harmful ingredients. 
I said that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't started the makeup line, although that's something that I would love to do because I do love fiddling with, I mean, for me, that's the, I guess the painter in me and the makeup artist like mixing. In fact, I think that that's what set me apart and why I ended up getting lucky is that in South Africa, we never really had great products, right? It was kind of limited. So when I started doing makeup, I'd be like, yeah, but this this foundation looks too pink. And so I think, what can I add into the foundation to make it more a more realistic skin tone? And um I came up with <laughs> I came up with Lily's pollen from a lily because I thought, you know, we we had these wild lilies that grew on the, all over the mountain in Cape Town and it, when, if you picked some of them, they would stain, the yellow would stain your skin. And I thought, hmm. So I went and got a little bit of pollen and I would add the pollen into my foundation. Oh my gosh. Which also gave it, besides giving it like color correcting, it also gave it like a more stickiness. So it really adhered to the skin. And that's what I became known for was doing great skin. And that that's actually, that was actually going to be my next question. Um, how do you distinguish your work from other makeup artists? Is that Was that what you were known for? I think I was known for like bringing out the person. I never really thought of makeup as an artistic expression. Like a lot of the famous, I mean, brilliant makeup artists that, we, that we've had, it would be their, their artistic outlet. For me, it wasn't so much. It was more just enhancing a woman's beauty, bringing out, you know, the best in the person. Because I had my, you know, I had, I did have my art as my outlet because I used to always, you know, paint and draw. And so that's what I worked on. It's like the real technical part of how makeup should be rather than the artistic expression. I see. Having the makeup just bring out what's already there, just enhancing it. I see. So giving it a very natural finish. Yeah. And I think that's why at the time I, I became popular with the, a lot of the celebrity actors and because they would need a, com- a combination of the two. They would need to look good in face-to-face in real time as well as looking good in photographs. You know, I had never considered that because, yeah, there's stage makeup, there's photography makeup, and right. then you need to look good in, in real life too. Yeah. You know, they used to call it like the drag makeup, which would look amazing <laughs> in photographs. But when you got up close to it, it would be like, you know, <laughs> yes, the foundation was this thick and... Yeah, so that's what I think that's... And and luckily for me, it was at the whole, I don't want to say the wave time now because it's past, but it was that kind of just natural beauty that was in fashion. And it's, and, you know, something that I also find interesting that you brought up in that last interview is about, about the non-harmful ingredients and raising awareness about that. That has been something that's just been fairly recent. At what point in your career did you think, oh, you know, what are these, what are the, what are the ingredients and the chemicals that are being put into these um, makeup products that I'm using every day? Right. I think when I started realizing, you know, we were now getting medicines that trans, that were delivered transdermally. And I was like, hmm. So they're giving it, you know, giving us stuff through the skin. What else do we take in through the skin? Right. That made me, re- and then I, I started looking into it that, you know, the, hormone disrupting phthalates and, you know, all sorts of other kind of things that they add and into the product. And, um, and we're not very regulated. The cosmetic industry in America is not well regulated at all for harmful ingredients. 
It, it, it's true. In fact, most of the bigger brands that I've read about don't, they, they, they have all kinds of harmful ingredients yeah. and fragrances that are, that are terrible for your skin. Exactly. So do you think that would be your next step in business, starting a, a clean cosmetic line? I would love to do that, but I know my limitations. <laughs> <laughs> I am not a business person at all. I'm a, basically an artist and yeah, I know my limitations. I've always hoped for like the right per- for me and the right person to kind of connect. It hasn't happened. And I'm not I'm also not like that kind of a driver. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Well, I think it's it's interesting that you say you're not a business person, but you've been in business for yourself in, I guess. in an amazing <laughs> career. Yes. Um what's the biggest lesson you've learned so far working for yourself? Hmm. That I like it. <laughs> <laughs> That I like that I've never really had a boss. I've never had a boss. I mean, besides, you know, when when I was working, when I was first starting out, I waitressed and, and worked at this clothing factory where I did have a boss, but it was kind of part-time and, you know, I wasn't that beholden to them. That's the part I really love is that I am my own boss. And do you And do you think that being your own boss, especially in this industry – gave you the freedom to express yourself artistically and take risks? Totally. And also because, and also the being your own boss, but also the type of freelance work, you know, the security of it was a little, you know, every time work would get quiet, it would be like, oh my God, I'm never going to work again. You know what I mean? (laughs) Because it's a competitive business. Yes. But I soon learned, enjoy the downtime because it's going to get busy again. That Moira, that is such great advice. And I've experienced that myself, even just in my first year in business. Um, there was a period of time where I had some downtime. It was about two or three weeks and I had the same feeling. I'm never going to work again. I'm going to have to go work for someone else. My business isn't going to make it. But then I got the same advice from a mentor that I have. And she said to me, enjoy the downtime, Alexander, because you're working hard and the work will come. And I'm glad that I did take her advice on that because then I was, I've was i been busy for over a year after that. Crazy busy, right? Yes. And then you're like, damn, I didn't enjoy that time. Yeah, exactly. But after when it's happened, when, when it starts doing a few cycles, then you, but you're always going to think, oh my God, it's, you know, this is it. This is the final. Of course. My agent used to joke to me. She was like, towards the end, once I'd had kids and I'd kind of, was wanting to slow down a bit with the comp- with within the industry. She would say, "Geez, I've never known anyone who's trying to kill their career as <laughs> you have, and it just keeps going." And I think that's because of, of what we, the sense. I feel like that's because of what we keep mentioning: your willingness to show up and do a good job, put yourself out there. And I have a feeling, Moira, that you that the opportunity will come for your clean beauty line because just because of the way everything else has happened in the past, I think that is what's next. Well, I mean, I think that that's how I've thought about it, but it's not, you know, it's not always going to hold true. And I think that if it's something that I really want to do, I might put myself out there more. Mm. So that's, you know, I don't want to just let myself off the hook for not doing anything. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, yes, I'm just going to wait until the right person comes. <laughs> right. Because I'm not actually out there. So that's the lesson is you have to be out there and then stuff comes. You're absolutely right. And talk about putting yourself out there, Mo- you moving across the world and just willing to travel, find, your, find agents, 
and then the jobs, and then they came. But it, but you're right; they don't just come to you. You you were putting in the work, and then everything was falling into place the right way. Right. And so when it came to when it came down to my wanting to do a, a makeup line, because I feel like I do have some good ideas for products, etc. I sort of like had a few fits and starts, and they never happened. You, you know, it never took off. So. And I think that this is pr probably where mindset comes in, right? I had said to myself, uh, well, you know, it's, it's obviously not meant to happen, which, so it can work for you and against you. Right. Your, your mindset. My, you know, when I was young, my mindset was just like, I'm just going out there, I'm doing it. If I fail, blah, 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 just go for it. And maybe as I became a little older and more, I don't want to say fearful, but more um, not as adventurous. You know, I haven't really had that. I don't know what it is. It's kind of like a subconscious single-mindedness that you just have this driving, something driving you. And it's, it's hard to tap into consciously when it's just happening subconsciously. You're so right. And I find that to be um, a central theme in, in, in discussions like these. There is a there is a driving force, and when you quiet your mind and you eliminate the fear, you are then able to feel what the right next step is. Exactly, exactly. What advice would you give to somebody just starting their career um, as a makeup artist? That has been the hardest thing for me because I have had so many people ask me that question, especially young makeup artists. And the truth is. I wish that there was some that there was something that I could tell them, you know, if you do it like this or if you do it like that, or if you go to this school over that school, there is no one way. I think if it's your passion and you have the talent, you will find the way, which you know, whichever way it is. Which it could be through, you know, different it doesn't have to be through one particular thing, like someone might have gone to school and learned makeup for movies and then somehow met someone in the movie that then translated back to fashion because I ended up doing some movies as well, which is not my, I, what did I know about doing movie makeup? Mm. Absolutely nothing. But the people that I'd worked with, they liked the work that I did and they wanted me to work on the movies. And thankfully, a lot of the movie makeup artists were very kind and generous and shared you know, some movie making tips. So, so it really just goes back to quieting your mind, listening, listening to that driving force and just taking one step at a time. Yeah, I and, think so. And you're right. And then the journey is, is different for everybody because who knows, you know, what twist and turns your life is going to take. Exactly. But, but at the same token, it's like just putting yourself out there too. Because if you're not out there, you're not going to open up, you know, to what the universe will hand to you. I think that that's a skill that we may undervalue a little bit because people are so focused on success and getting, the, there. getting there, the formula. And you're right. There really is no one way to do something. Well, if you look at all the, the like the, you know, the top, I mean, like the people that they consider genius, you know, creators or and none of them, I mean, most of them did not go the route. Like a lot of them were college dropouts you know, and they went like a circuitous route to where they eventually ended up. Right. If you could go back in time and speak to your younger self right before you embarked on this journey that has been your amazing life and career, 
what would you say to yourself? I would say, enjoy what's coming at you right then. I mean, I, I sort of like part of me wishes that, but I made, I made choices and my choice was to have, you know, to have a family. And that's, that was sort of like a little bit of a sacrifice job wise, you know? So I don't regret anything. I would do the same thing. I would do the same thing over again. If it was, I, I was able to have an amazing career at the same time as being able to raise my boys and being, to be able to be at home with them quite a bit with still having my creative outlet being my job. But then sometimes I look back and I'm like, damn, you know, I know that this person was looking for a makeup artist to team with. And, you know, Laura Mercier ended up getting it and not me because I was, had kids at home. So it was like, who's going to be more focused? So there are certain things that you, you know, whatever choices you make, you're going to suffer on one side, but it's what is worth it to you. That's, that's, that's an excellent point. And I feel like that is another thing that people struggle with a lot, finding that work-life balance. Right. Um, because it, if you want to have a family, it's, that's, it, obviously that's the, the most important thing in your life, but you still feel the need to go out, express yourself and work and do something that you're passionate about. Right. How did you manage your work-life balance when you had a family? I was just very lucky. I just accepted the jobs that I wanted to, you know, that were easy, that fitted in. For me, obviously that starts then petering out because if you, it's your availability and if you're not totally available for someone, they might, someone else might slip in. So, you know, it's, it's the balance, but I mean, I've managed it for, although I've really slowed down now within the fashion business. I mean, I don't, I basically do a couple of celebrities and that's it. I mean, I'm not, not really out there in the magazine world anymore. Although it's, I mean, and the world has changed somewhat with social media. It's like a, a bit of a different, bit of a different world out there. And now, and now that you're kind of slowing down, I, you still have an appreciation for beauty. You've, I, I know you paint now. I've seen your work. It's amazing. Oh, thank you. And now you're, and now you're building up, you're building a home in the Hudson River Valley, like you said you would. And what's next, Moira? Yeah. I mean, Definitely getting the house done and getting my little settled spot. I don't know. I go between really wanting to do something kind of product-wise to saying, because I keep thinking, oh, I'm, I, I still have so much energy. I'm not ready to just like sit in my studio and paint all day, which is silly because that would be enough. But I still feel like there's something in me that just, you know, wants to keep going a I little bit. And I don't, I mean, I love painting. I love painting portraits. I love doing people. I don't have any formula. I just start going and then I work and work at some point. It's like, oh, what does that look like? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, don't look at it right now because it's terrible. Until I feel that I've brought out something of, I don't want to say the soul, but captured something of the person. I mean, maybe I'm not passionate enough about it, you know? I don't know. I question myself. I also feel like painting is, I, I feel like it's a little bit of a time thief for me. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I feel like I can sit and paint and paint and days can go by. And I kind of don't like that about it. I see. I know what you're talking about when you say that you still feel like there's something in there that, that you want to do. You're not quite sure what it is. But if I've taken anything from this conversation, it's that 
just doing things one step at a time and having the courage to put yourself out there that yeah. it will reveal itself. It's true. Like I, I now look at my, you know, the best thing I ever did with my two boys mm-hmm. and, and they have a, they have amazing girlfriends and I look at these girls and I'm like, yes, I want to do something for them, you know what I mean? But I want them on board with it. So who knows? Maybe one day, maybe, you know, a family business. Yes. <laughs> where I could just be the advisor and they can be the drivers, you know, because <laughs> they're smart business girls and so are my boys. Who knows? You never know. It's true. Well, Moira, thank you so much for being here today. This was, um, this was such an amazing conversation and I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Alexander. I enjoyed it too. And that's a wrap for another episode of From Vision to Creation with the graceful and incredibly talented Moira Mulholland. Moira's journey from accidental model to renowned celebrity makeup artist is beyond inspiring. Her story reminds us all that life's most transformative moments often come when we least expect them. Perhaps the most important lesson we can take away from Moira's journey is her unwavering, optimistic attitude. She never shied away from saying yes to opportunities, even when they seemed unconventional or unexpected. Moira's story is a testament to the power of embracing the unknown and daring to chase your dreams. As we conclude this episode, I want to express my gratitude to Moira for sharing her incredible journey, her insights, and her passion with us today. And to all of our listeners out there, thank you for joining us on this adventure into the world of beauty and transformation. If you found today's episode as inspiring as we did, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and share From Vision to Creation with your friends and fellow dreamers. And most importantly, remember that the most incredible journeys often begin with a yes.